episode 160 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an awesome ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. Visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Avi Nation, what is going on? And welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is with Jason Miller from Learn Their Finer Points and the Ground School app. Yes, the sponsor you just heard. Jason is a sponsor of the podcast and I'm very, very honored to have a partnership with them. Uh, I love anything and everything Jason does. As you'll listen to this and ask CFI 2.0, he's just such a solid person, great human being, a great CFI and speaks some great knowledge today. Uh, if you do not follow me, or Jason on Instagram, please do, because that's how you have the opportunity to ask us a question for us to answer. Now, as I say in this, I'm not a CFI, so I just offer some unnecessary commentary, um, but it, it is a good conversation and one that I love to have, and I look forward to doing these monthly or every couple months with Jason as we continue to grow and uh, get more information out there for you. I hope you enjoy this. I really do. If you want to see the video part of this, there is a video of me and Jason talking. It is on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. Go check it out. You can also get access to the exclusive group chat and Instagram on Patreon and Instagram. So go ahead and check that out, Aviation. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Without any further ado, here's Jason Miller. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome to another Ask a CFI with Jason Miller for Learn the Finer Points. You all really liked the first one we did, so we promised we would give you another one. And we're answering your questions from Instagram. If you don't follow me or Jason on Instagram, you're really missing out. This is a great way to interact with us and get some quality personal pretty much instruction from one of the best CFIs in the world. And then I just make fun of things and, and sound like an idiot. So I hope you enjoy this. It's a lot of fun and I'm going to bring Jason in right now and answer y'all's questions. So without any further ado, let's introduce Jason from Learn the Finer Points. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do that again, I'm going to duck under my desk. I know, right? Uh, all right. Now I need to figure out how to get myself on here. What is happening? All right. So we have it. Are we recording? Yeah, this is behind the scenes. How many times can Justin mess up? This is take one. <laughs> well, everyone, welcome to Ask a CFI with Jason Miller from Learn the Finer Points. As I said, Jason's going to be here to answer your questions. Um, I'm excited for this. I like the questions that have been coming. So, Jason, we got a lot. You ready for it? I am, I am totally ready to go. All right, man. Let's go ahead and get started. The first one. This is an interesting one because I feel like it doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, there's not much guidance for how a CFI can handle it. There's nothing in a handbook of telling you how to do this. It's kind of you just figure it out on your own. It's how do you deal with a tough student? Someone that either just doesn't understand something, they could uh, be fearful of turbulence, feel fearful of stalls, like just someone that's very, very hard to crack to get on the path to success. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's really, um, that's really tricky. And <clears throat> so they're, they're, the first thing I think of is when someone says tough student, there are so many different ways you can be tough. Um, the, the thing that drives me the most crazy and super common, I think we might've talked about it last time is just when people fight you, they, they get in their own way, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. everything you say to them, they'll say, well, I did that because of this, that, and the other thing is like, I don't need to hear the novel. I'm just telling you what I saw (laughs) and here's how to fix it. Right. So like that can be tough. 
But the, some of the stuff you mentioned where people are, are afraid of the airplane, that's a whole different category. There are other people that are too cavalier, you know, mm-hmm. that, that think that nothing can get them. They've, maybe they've succeeded in business like in an extreme way. I see that sometimes in Silicon Valley where you get these like 32-year-old billionaires. And it's like, how do you oh. tell somebody like that they can't do it, you know? Yep. Um, right. So, so there's all these different things. But just to kind of hit some of them, I think that um, if somebody's like in their own way like that, I think that um, you can you can do a couple things. You can set up that coach student analogy. I think people, at least in the United States, really understand that. A lot of us have played sports, so if you can set it up that that person is the star athlete and you're just the coach and and you're just trying to get them to their best game, and then I think you can also, um, <laughs> you know, I, I can't. But anyway, you can you can send them the good information first, right? So you can say. You can say like, you know, you did like a couple things really, really well. These are the things you did really well. Here are some of the things that didn't go well that I want to see get better for next time. And then in that framework, you can literally say, hey, look, like if they start talking, you can cut them off and say, hey, look, none of that really matters. Like we, we already talked about what you're doing really well. Let's just save you some time and money. These are the <laughs> things you need to fix. Like, I don't really care yeah. why it happened. Right. It's like, hey, um, you did this well, this well, this well, but you really did this, but, this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this really bad. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, when I played little league, I had a coach. I still remember, I mean, this was like T-ball. So this goes way back, but he was just awesome at that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I I couldn't throw the ball straight to save my life, but I could field pretty much anything. And he would always start with, that was an amazing catch or like, nice job picking up that ball. And he'd be like, where the heck were you throwing that thing? You know? So it was always a little bit of both, you know? Yeah. Um, Positive reinforcement and yeah. then constructive criticism too, you know, like how to figure out when to use them and, and how to use them and make sure that it's received yeah. well on their end. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and you just made me think of something just in, in terms of thinking about like sports and your background and stuff. But I think some people also know um, how they receive stuff best. And you can actually, as a CFI, ask them that question. Like when you start this coach student relationship, you can even set it up. Say like, I'm going to be your coach. We're going to get you to be the best star athlete you can possibly be. Tell me about other coaches you've had in your life. Like what works for you? Do you need someone to be like on you hard? Do you need someone to like give you reinforcement? Do you want to like see pictures at the end of the flight? Like, how do you learn? And everyone's different. I mean, I had one German guy. He was awesome, Stefan. And he would literally write everything I said down to where it got pretty absurd. Like, I'm looking at him about two weeks into training. And I would say things like, I'd be, we'd be in the run-up area. And I would say, okay, so we have to lean the mixture a little bit more than that, like about one inch out. And he would pick up his red notebook and write, we have to lean the mixture. And then after a while, I was like, you know, you're going to be here for like 10 years. Yeah. Like, and, and by the way, I'm taking that book away at some point. Right. <laughs> and he, and he told me, he's like, it's not about the book. It's just the process of me writing it. He's like, that's how I remember it. And I promise I'll ditch the book. And, and he did. You know? I was like, can you imagine on his check ride, the instructor's yeah. like, all right, we're going to do this. He's like, hang on. Uh, let me write that down. Uh, <laughs> that, how do, how do you spell that? Yeah. Lindbergh <laughs> is spelled how? Like, okay. Yeah. Right. Right. He did it. Right. And he did. He ditched that book and he knew everything. So some people just know that about themselves. So that can be really helpful. You don't have to guess or try to figure somebody out. You can just literally ask him. You brought up Um, an interesting point, not to interrupt you or anything, talking about Silicon Valley billionaires or millionaires. Aviation is very expensive. It can attract 
wealthy people into it that maybe want to do it to, to make it them look cool. You know, say I have my, my pilot license, maybe they don't take it very seriously. I'm sure they do, but there's all, there's a whole range of people with money that get into aviation. How do you, how do you deal with that? Have you found with your experience that they're pretty down to earth, they're ready to go, or can there be a little bit of an ego and a, a little bit of bashing of the heads or minds as just, as some would say? Um, it's interesting. Uh, I find mostly they're, they're pretty much ready to go. And I think mm-hmm. especially if you, if you create that context where like you are there to help them be the best, because that's what they are used to wanting to be the best. You don't typically get to that place unless you're super driven and competitive and you want to be the best. So I think if you like help them understand that you're part of the team that gets them to the top, that's important. Um, it can be different if it's like the kids of those people. I've run into that where it's like the, the second thing you mentioned, where like sometimes hmm. kids are like born into that. And that's a whole different, a whole different animal where they do feel sort of like entitled. And yeah. sometimes I've walked away from those relationships, but mostly, mostly people that are, that have achieved all of that. Um, the problem is like slowing them down. I mean, I've literally had people call me and ask if a Pilatus would be a good first plane to buy. <laughs> like, like literally like, should I buy a Pilatus to do yeah. my training? And I would say, well, I like, are you crazy? And they'd be like, well, I'm going to buy a jet in a year anyway. So maybe I should just get like a Pilatus to do the basic stuff. Like just that's insane. You know, You're like, maybe. well, I yeah. need to go to flight safety to learn how to fly that plane <laughs> to in turn teach you. Like <laughs> I do not yeah, recommend I mean, that. It's like get a serious. If you want to get something like crazy, nice or a nice bonanza, you know, you don't need to go straight to a Pilatus. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, just holding people back when money is literally no object and they know they're yeah. going to be flying like a citation 10. So let me know how that works out for you. If you ever do your, your training in a Pilatus, I want to know what your experience is when you take a Pilatus <laughs> into a full stall, because it's one of the most terrifying <laughs> things you will ever see in your life. And you will probably have Brown on your pants afterwards. Why? It's intense. What happens? I don't, that thing breaks, man. Just, uh, for people looking at the, watching the video, the Patreons will see me with my hand, but so you're coming up as a stall and immediately once you stall, it's a hard either left or right turn straight over and nosedive down. Wow. Like immediately. It it's it's intense. Side. Yeah. Always yeah. breaks off to the yeah. side, immediate roll straight down. Uh, when they designed the plane, they didn't know that I was going to do that. They got into testing and they're so far deep <laughs> into kind of testing and making it that they couldn't go back to remake the plane. So they just put a, a stick wow. shaker in to, to give you more awareness of when the stall is occurring and when it's happening. But um, there's a really wow. good YouTube video of a test pilot in a Pilatus uh, filmed by Pilatus out there. And it shows you with him expecting and knowing that this is coming and every single time, no matter what he does, it's a hard, hard bank and dive. And like, it's like a wow. fighter pilot, like doing a crit. It's insane. If anyone listening to this yeah. hasn't watched it, I've talked about this before, but watch that. It is, it is crazy. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to go find yeah. that. <clears throat> it's yeah, kind of like, so, um, you know, the Piper not. Tomahawk is a pretty bad plane installs too, right? Like the T-tail type thing that it's got going yeah. on from what I hear. It's, I think it's similar to that. Just a much bigger version of that. Yeah. 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 No, it definitely is like that. They call it the trauma hawk. It's got, yeah. (laughs) Power to anyone flying a trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you can simulate that in like, like a Cessna 152 does that really well. If you add like full left rudder at the top Mm -hmm. of the stall, like right before it breaks. Um, And you can still just go to that incipient thing and still get out of it. But before you spin. The other thing you were talking about was comfort, like people that are afraid of the airplane. I find Mm -hmm. um, in most cases showing them 
the edges of the envelope. I find that that's mostly a comfort issue. Like if you really think about like what we all do, right? We get in these machines that are heavier than air and we go fly through the sky. We all like at this point, you and I feel totally comfortable in that environment. I mean, I'm not nervous when I'm flying usually <laughs> unless something's gone really wrong. Right. I feel, I feel really comfortable up there and I feel like that's, and I'm not, and you're not like born that way. I mean, I remember being nervous about stalls as a student or, or whatever, but at a certain point, your body just comes to trust the engineering, right? You've seen this trick work every single time for so many years. You just know what the machine's going to do. It's predictable. And so for people that aren't comfortable, I think if they just spend a little bit of time and so much, so often we go out into training and we do like maneuver-based stuff, like we're just going out to do steep turns or just going out to do stalls or whatever. And it wasn't until I met my mentor, Richard, where he was like, let's just go flying. And like, we would jump in a Satabria, go out over a lake and get down. He would take us down to like 20 feet off the water and just start turning and just going out to play around with the airplane and get comfortable with what the machine can do. And that's, that was, that was pretty big for me. So taking some time to do that. I think. Yeah. I also think it's important for anyone that is kind of nervous about flying is to understand what you said is that there are still times where uh, a professional, a, a CFI that's been doing this for a while can find themselves in a situation that's not as fun as before. You know, a lot of new pilots get spooked totally. or they get freaked out and they think that it's it. Like I'm done. I can't do this anymore. At one time, it's very common. Yeah. Uh, I've had a friend from back home who got his private pilot license later in life and he stopped flying because he spooked himself one day. Uh, it does happen. Yeah. You do find yourself in situations that just aren't great situations. I mean, that's kind of flying. It's an inherent, there's a danger to it. And not every flight's going to go perfect. Something will go wrong eventually. Um, and you just got to be able to, to accept the challenge and do it. But there are still times where people are kind of like, well, I don't want to do that again. But it's important to know yeah. that you can still feel comfortable at the controls. Like you can, you can get over that fear of kind of the unknown and with doing what you said, like taking yeah. the plane to the edge of the envelope, getting a feel for why it's doing what it's doing. Understand that a stall isn't a spiral down to die. A spin isn't like a spin. You can just let go right. of the controls and the plane's going to figure it out and be like, all right, we're not doing that anymore and <laughs> come right back out. You know, it's like the plane wants yeah. to be in the air. Those wings want to fly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, like for the student, we were talking about students with money in my neighborhood for the ones that have the money, I always tell them to go down to King city. Sean Tucker's got that two team, school of aviation safety down there where they do like upset recovery and aerobatic mm -hmm. training and, um, and that's awesome too. Just put on a parachute and really go, go out with someone who does it every single day and just hang from the straps upside down for a while. Just do some spins, like sh demonstrate what you just said that for the most part yeah. you let go and the thing recovers and just to see all that stuff. I think if you do that enough, you'll feel comfortable. Here's one. Uh, let me find it. It says that this is from John Boy 0086. He goes, I'm a CFI and have a student that's deathly afraid of turbulence and stalls. How can he help him? What would you do in that situation? I would do this thing that I call stall exercises. It's actually funny. There's I'm doing a, there's a YouTube video publishing this Sunday, like showing exactly what he just asked about. But um, it, it, it's like you know, it's a very benign stall. And I think that's the main thing is it's all based on this idea that we're just going to see what the airplane can do. But we slow down all the way to like minimum controllable airspeed and just get comfortable there. 
which takes a minute. So trim it up so that you're not, there's no deft grip on the controls. Use the Lindbergh reference so that there's no yawn. You can see everything. The stall horn might be on, you, you know, put a piece of paper over the flight instruments and just get comfortable, fly around with a light grip and just do that for 15 or 20 minutes, just flying around, feeling comfortable, nothing bad is happening. And then, which I had a model, but it's all over there anyway. <laughs> and then just, just pull the airplane up into a little stall. The stall horn kind of picks up its pitch, kind of goes, and then you feel that little shake and the airplane stalls and then just release the, the back pressure just a little bit. So you're still flying. There's no dramatic power application. Get the heck out of there. You know, just, just pulling it in and out of these little baby stalls. And if you do it with like an MCA minimum control airspeed in most light airplanes, you've got like 17, 1800 RPM. So it's not full power. There's not this massive left pole of the engine. Um, it's just, you know, if you're looking in the right spot, it's just a little bit of right rudder and just kind of just pull it in and out of these little gentle baby stalls. And I think mm -hmm. if you kind of put those big kid, kid gloves on and do that enough, that, that helps. I agree. I think that it's a very important the first time you go fly. I was a little bit afraid of stalls when I started, especially spins too. Um, but yeah, totally. it's hard for a CFI that is doing eight hours a day, has 15 students, just knocking them out. Boom, 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 boom. They kind of forget what it feels like to not experience this for the first time. So I feel like a lot of times they take for granted the fact that they might be afraid, but they're not saying anything and they don't see and they don't pick up on the cues that like show the fear and they just go into it and they think right. it's fun because they do it all the time. So they just like rear it back and get the stall horn and an aggressive break. And it's like, all right, well, just go as slow as you possibly can. And this, I mean, this might be just experience that I had. Everyone listening to this might be like, oh, I would never do that. And that's good. But I've definitely seen the fact where people don't take into consideration and they don't recognize the, that that fear is there. And also if you're a student, speak right. up, just be like, Hey, I am terrified of stalls. And I guarantee you, most instructors are going to take it really slow and do what you just said. They're going to show you exactly what's happening, you know, take it step by step and then let you hear the stall horn and let you know, let you fly it in slow fight for a little bit to see like, hey, look, you can still fly at this very, very slow speed. Yeah. Uh, and then this is what happens. Right. Just visualize it and see it. So I, I think that's what I mean, I'm not a CFI, so don't listen to me, like I said, but that's <laughs> the way I look at it. Well, no, but like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of like important stuff you're saying too. Cause like, I, I like I said earlier too, I was also nervous about stalls and spins. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's unnatural not to be. And I think that's important to tell people too. Like if you're totally fine with, with like, you know, getting up there in a heavier than air vehicle and stopping that wing from flying so that you fall through the air a little bit, like something's wrong with you. <laughs> it's a normal, <laughs> Something's wrong mentally. It's yeah. Like a, yeah. Right. Like it's a normal thing. And, and, um, I think like CFIs need to take a little time to do this kind of stuff, to lay this groundwork. And I know it seems counterintuitive. It's a little bit like tacking a sailboat, if that analogy means anything to anybody, but it's like you go the, it looks like you're going the wrong way for a second, but it's only because when you make the next turn, you're going to go faster than you would have mm -hmm. if you would have trucked up this straight line. Right. If yeah. you get those fundamentals in place, all the rest of the maneuvers are going to come together super fast. Right. So instead of just banging your head on the maneuvers all the time, take some time to lay that groundwork. Yeah, absolutely. And I think ground obviously is the most important part there is do everything you can to prepare them on the ground and then try not to waste their time too much in the air and be like, all right, this is what we talked about. Remember when I showed you this and use the visuals on the ground in the air to kind of do it all to put it all together at once. Yeah, totally. That's huge. Um, yeah. And, you know, complete, like, I'm a big fan of completion standards. I think they weren't used enough in my training, but like, you know, on every lesson going out and knowing what success should look and feel like 
And I think if, if so that you can measure it, right. When you get back and say, did we actually meet the learning objective? Like, do you yeah. feel good about that thing we were talking about before we went um, and keep those pretty like small, just like little, like, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. all these sports analogies talking to you. Dude. I'm like, <laughs> let's just run the ball a couple yards. At time, run right? the ball. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> People are like sports. Yeah, sweet man. <laughs> Does the Ground School app? Uh, I don't know this, so I should probably. But do you have visuals of you recording stalls and seeing what it looks like and hearing the sounds? Is that something that's available in the app right now? Oh yeah, totally. In fact, all of yeah. these exercises, like we we decided to include not just the ACS maneuvers. So like when you go through the skills section, which is the one that has all the video lessons, mm-hmm. um, everything I just mentioned, those little baby stall exercises, the coordination roles, like uh, all like minimum controllable airspeed, all of that stuff's in there as complete lessons, the same way I would give them to you in real life. Right. Um, even though they're not on the ACS. So that's all. <laughs> Well, that's good though. I think that's definitely something you can do ahead of time is to to look at something like the ground school app and see exactly what you're looking for and what's coming because that will definitely help you in the air, like we said. All right, moving on from that. Yeah, man, um, that's been the hope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, anytime. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah. Um, right. Here's a here's a good question. Um, this comes from someone that hasn't flown in four years. They want to get back into it. What do you recommend to a rusty pilot that's looking to get back into it? Obviously, four years. I mean, you don't have a valid BFR, so you got to go up with an instructor and all that that fun stuff. But yeah. let's even shorten it down to they haven't flown in a year and a half. They could technically just go jump in a plane and go fly. What would you kind of, um, what's the mentality they should have? Yeah, it's, um, well, here's something to think about. Um, think about a scenario. So like when I was talking with this designated examiner, John Ewing, who has been on my Instagram a lot, um, he was saying that just recently he got back from Oklahoma. And one of the things that the examiners have to do now when they assign cross countries is actually assign scenarios. And I've, I've seen examiners do this, like even in a private check ride, they'll say, okay, here's your check ride. Here's how it's going to start. It's Saturday afternoon. It's two o'clock sitting on the sofa. My friend Billy calls you and says he wants to go flying. Tell me about that, right? Like literally from start to finish, like what do, am I current? Am I legal? Did, did I check the weather? How do I check the weather? Is the airplane legal? What does it need to be legal? You know, what do I need to get you know, rent one? And how do I pre-flight? So I think if somebody just starts with a very simple scenario like that, like I haven't flown in a year and a half, but I want to go down to the airport on Sunday and I want to rent a 152 and I want to go out to Fox Lake and do some steep turns and come back. But, but really drill down into that. Like, what does that really mean? Like what has to be done? If that means you have to go pick up a book of regulations to remind yourself what the currency requirements are. Cool. If that means you have to go pick up a chart to remember what all the airspace is, if that means you have to listen to live ATC to remind yourself what what needs to be said on the radio if you're leaving out of a tired airport i mean all that stuff it's it's not like you're gonna finish this in 10 minutes like no. take a couple days or a week and, and go through that scenario and dust off your thinking yeah. a little bit. i think that would help a lot yeah i think overconfidence is is a big thing here where it's like maybe been flying for 10 years and something came up a health issue or you just had to step away for a year but you have the skills to do it uh you, at least you think you yeah. do you had the skills is a better way to say it you could find yourself in a very overconfident situation where you just go straight in like nothing's changed and you're just going to go up and do everything good. Uh, nine times out of 10, yeah. 9.5 times out of 10, that's not going to work out too well. I mean, you might have that usually beginner's right. luck on the first landing, you know, but then something comes up and you get yourself in a situation and you might scare yourself and be like, holy smokes, like let's go back down and just slow down. 
That's my biggest thing for anyone. Yeah. If you're, I'm, I'm getting back into general aviation. I fly technically general aviation all the time in the latitude and I'm doing check rides all the time, but I'm not going to go into a 182 and I'm not, or even let's say a multi-engine plane or whatever. I'm not going to go in and just go full throttle and go take off. It's like, I'm going to make sure I'm checked out, make sure someone that does this every single day knows that I'm not going to hurt myself or endanger anyone else. So just slow down and don't yeah, be man, overconfident. Right. That's really wise. <clears throat> and I don't know what the opposite of, you know, when people say, Oh, it's like riding a bike, whatever the opposite of that is, is flying. It's like, you, you remember yeah. yourself really good. Like you, it's exactly like you just said, you remember yourself really good, but the skills really do atrophy quickly. Yeah. Um, one example, if anybody's interested is like, uh, flight chops and I, a bunch of years ago, did this video where we flew our daughters to Disneyland in a multi-engine airplane. And he sort of made this video where, you know, we're going to Disneyland. That's the story. But he also follows me through getting recurrent in the one uh, in the, it was a DA 42. It had only been 91 days or something since I did my ATP in that exact airplane. And no I think it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, dude, it's crazy to watch. Like I actually failed. I pulled the wrong engine back. I mean, I made all these classic mistakes. I was struggling to get current again. And it was literally 91 or 92 days after I did my ATP in that exact airplane. So it's like, you know, just That's like crazy. you said, like you can get in there and not know what you're doing in a brand yeah. new airplane. So it can, it can happen to the best of us. I mean, you could be a Supreme <laughs> and a great pilot and a great aviator, but uh, time away yeah. does not translate into you continuing that success of being a pilot or being uh, an aviator or whatever you want to call it. Um, play it safe. Don't be overconfident. Don't have a huge ego and you should be all right. I was just say one last thing on it is flying is really 25% of the problem, right? I like it's, it's <laughs> there's so much other stuff you can figure out. Like, so don't, you know, don't get discouraged by that either. Don't be like, Oh man, well, it's been four years. So if that's true, I'm not going to get back into it. It's like, you can get the radio stuff, the chart reading, yeah. the regulations, the rituals, get all that stuff together and then just go work on that little flying problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. And especially now with simulators yeah. and everything out, it's like, go pop in X plane, go, go buy Microsoft flight yeah. simulator. Like it's not the same, but it will help you. Uh, you can kind of get the feel for controls again and the visuals down because what you see and versus what you do is kind of like the the thing that can get you in a lot of trouble because you're going to be slower because it's not going to be muscle memory. It's not a skill that you practiced over and over and over again. So if you can kind of get right. that muscle memory back up, then you should be all right. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Here's an interesting question. Um, VFR into IFR. So say you are a VFR pilot. This is a, this is a common killer. Uh, this is unfortunately something that does affect a lot of pilots they either don't yeah. look at the forecast they do look at the forecast they they try to beat it in they think they can beat it in or maybe they think hey it's just one little layer i'll be okay but it turns out that that layer is from seven thousand feet all the way down to the ground which can happen um this yeah. question specifically says if a vfr pilot accidentally flies an imc what's the best way out i think um the just the the 180 turn um, and I don't know, just to like underline some of the stuff you said, I mean, here's like a little statistic that's kind of mind blowing when you think about it is that this type of accident kills more pilots every year than all other weather events combined. So you know, think thunderstorms, icing, turbulence, wind shear, like throw all those in one bucket and more people are getting killed flying VFR and IMC just for the reasons that you described. And that's why I think the 180 is the best way out. <clears throat> the other thing that's dangerous about this particular accident and i by the way have been pretty open about there's like two or three stories i have 
and not too long ago, right? So like after 20 years of doing this, 20 plus years at this point, I, I continue to make these mistakes. Um, so it's, everyone's vulnerable to this. And I think part of the danger is you can think of yourself as an instrument rated pilot. I could be in an instrument capable airplane, but if I didn't get on an instrument departure or on an instrument flight plan, and all of a sudden I'm in the clouds, it's like, wow, now I can't see anything. And it's not like I can't control the airplane. I, I'm not worried. I'm going to like spiral out of the clouds, but I just don't know if I have any protections or where the terrain is or what the MEAs are, or what frequencies I should be on. Um, so and just like you said, the, the the time I'm thinking of where this happened to me, I had just descended into an airport and the layer when I descended in was broken, maybe 500 feet thick. So on the way out, um, how it happened essentially was I was trying to get through a hole in the clouds and it, they were just taller at this point than I thought, taller than when I came in for lunch. And before I knew it, boom, I'm in these clouds. But I was thinking to myself, well, this is a bad situation, but if I just keep climbing here, I'm going to break out on top any second. Only that's not what happened because the clouds I remembered had changed and gotten much thicker, right? And so all of a sudden I realized, gosh, I'm that fool. Like, here I am. I, I did it. And how did that, how did that happen? So, um, 180. So with like, if you're a CFI, make sure your students, like they go into the clouds, they should note the heading, start a timer and practice executing a one minute turn, right? And, and note the heading so that it's not just the time so they don't get sort of confused, but just go right back out the way you came in. I think that's the best way to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, that does scare me a little bit only because you're in do, if you don't do the standard rate turn, if you, uh, you're scared, you know, you're heightened up, you're in the clouds, you probably have a little bit of startle effect and you're like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And you're, you know, it's probably not immediate that you make that turn. So now here you are disoriented, uh, in the clouds, you're not doing a standard rate turn. And you would think in your mind, I need to get out of this. And you just, someone might kind of lose reference and they could either turn too much, they could bank too much. And that's the only thing that scares me about the 180. If it's not executed with a standard rate turns and pretty much immediately, I yeah. feel like there is a chance that you could find yourself in a worse situation. Um, but I mean, that goes to say like how big, like we don't know the full situation to really kind of diagnose what you need yeah. to do. It's different with each and every case. The best case is if you're a VFR pilot and you ever think there might be a chance of you doing this, get your instrument or, just do something with instruments to be able to learn how to trust your instruments and know, and obviously find IFR certified plane. That's number one, but you have, yeah, IFR. I mean, that's all I can say is get your IFR and file an IFR flight plan. If it's ever any yeah. chance whatsoever, because usually you can tell, like, I mean, there are some cases where things can sneak up on you for sure, especially out West. But I mean, yeah. you can usually tell ahead of time with four flight and forecast now. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, I think if you if you happen to be flying an airplane with a really good autopilot, having the ability to just go ahead and get the autopilot going, go into mm -hmm. heading mode and execute the turn with the autopilot is probably preferable you know, mm -hmm. than trying to hand fly it. Um, and then doing this stuff in training, like that 180 degree turn is, is definitely a part of my training program, but it's not yeah. on the private ACS. Like you don't ever have to demonstrate that for an examiner, which is bizarre. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you rewrite that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Oh, there's so many things I'd like to rewrite. <laughs> I'll call him right now. Hey, FAA, what's up? You. Jason wants to tell you something right now. He's got some critiques hey, for man. you. <laughs> if you if you can get him to listen. Yeah. yeah. Right. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Um, let's see here. Real quick on the on the VFR and yeah, one, by the way, is I think I 
I just think in the Kobe crash, there was some, some of that was involved. Like that situation I was describing, like, I think that pilot thought, I think the reason his pull-up was so abrupt was he thought he was going to pop up through the layer. Like he was trying to expedite yeah. his time. Like he was trying to get up on top fast, right? It was just a little thicker and he lost control on the way up. But Absolutely. when I look at that, you know, his abrupt pull-up is what contributed to that disorientation. And I'm just trying to think why so abrupt, like why so aggressive in the climb? And I, that's the only thing I can think of. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, Panic, probably one of the most things, panic, being yeah. nervous and knowing like once you figure out how deep you are into a bad situation um, and you yeah. only see one way out, you know, it's not like a soft climb up. It's going to be more of like a grab the yoke and yank it back, like get out now. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like uh, an instrument scan. You start focusing on one thing, you see an exit and you only focus on vertical speed or you only focus on altitude. But when you pull back, you don't focus yeah. on your airspeed. So it's kind of keeping a scan yeah. going and understanding everything that's going on at that one moment and not being so fixated on the one problem. It's kind of like that. I mean, this happens to everyone. This happens to airline pilots or has in the past. There's, um, yeah. I can't remember what it was, but someone, some airline crashed into the Everglades because they were just so focused on this one light for... <laughs> Eastern all they did Airlines. was just, was yeah, all they did was yeah. focus on this one light and <laughs> they didn't realize story. that they were just coming down, coming down and they crashed in the Everglades. So it is wow. very easy to get fixated on one problem. Um, wow. And it's just so important to take yourself out of the situation if you can and just really see the big picture. Uh, and that will help you out a lot. Yeah. 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 yeah that's awful. Lots to be learned from that. Yeah. yeah. All, right, all right. Let me pull this up again. No, on. you're fine. I think it's all good information. So I think it's definitely good to hear. Here's an interesting one for successful students and what you have seen the most success. Every student's different. What is the standard of how much a student should study on their own? Does this change from student to student? Is this something that should be tailored and you should tell a student that maybe needs more help to study a little bit more? Or do you have a standard, hey, if you usually study about 45 minutes to an hour a day or maybe more or less, then you will probably be okay. Yeah, it's, um, I usually call it a three to one ratio. So for every hour in the airplane, there's probably three hours outside of the airplane that the student needs to put in. And I make sure that they understand that these aren't like horseback riding lessons, right? Like, <laughs> I think some people, some people think about it that way, right? Like you show yeah. up, you ride the horse for a while, you go home and then you come back next week. In fact, most, the vast majority think of it that way. It's more like a high level college course, right? Like you go in there, you hear a lecture, you don't just go and wait for the next lecture. You go home and get to work. Like it's right. That just tees the ball up to go do all the work. And, um, and not, and you know, I think that like, this is one, if you have any instructors, I want, I know you do, cause we're getting these questions. This is one where I get really intolerant of people who have a problem with my hourly rate or want discounts somehow, want me to like, you know, well, we were together for three hours, but the Hobbs only said 2.2, like that kind of stuff. Um, mm. If that person, if that person is literally going home and putting in time on their own, then sure, like I'll give them a break or whatever. But for the person that where I, and I make notes, right? So like before somebody comes in, I look at my notes and say, oh yeah, last time I told them to do this on the thing. And I told them that we have to do cigars and the thing and we did this, blah, blah. If we get in the airplane and I say, so how did it go working on that thing? And they say, oh, right. Um, what was that again? It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a break, dude. You are oh, yeah. just dropping money out the door. You know what I mean? Like now yeah. you're on my hourly, the Hobbs meter is turning and you didn't even look at what I said to look at from last week. You're going to spend three times as much as, as you could have, oh, yeah. you know? So like, I think it, it saves people money if they do that kind of work and, and make sure that they know that, that, um, 
you know, that these, this is like a college course, it's a three to one ratio and that this will save them thousands of dollars. This is where they'll save money. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting mindset to have. And I feel like every student realizes that differently. Like I realized that different at a different time in my training than other people probably did. And when I was going into my private, I didn't really look at it that way. And my training suffered and it took longer for me to get to where I wanted to get and get the results that I wanted to see. Um, no one's ever yeah. told me the three to one yeah. rule. Um, I was never a great student and I just never really applied myself too hard until later in life. And I realized how much I love flying, but it's definitely important yeah. to realize that right away. The more you study, the more money you'll save and the faster you'll get your training done. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to make everybody feel better too, nobody believes this. Like my, I, you know, thinking back on it, my instructor told me too, and I don't think I did it <laughs> until I, I was, a te- you know, until, until you start teaching and you just see how clear it is, like yeah. just black and white night and day, you know, apples and oranges. It's just, it's so clear who does that and who doesn't. Then when I went back to get advanced certificates and ratings, like my commercial multi or my ATP or whatever, then I, yeah. then I did it of course, but it's hard to believe really. It really, no, it really is. And like I said, that's why I said it. It's just one of those things that everyone figures out on their own and at their own time, which is unfortunate because you might waste about a couple thousand dollars, which is not fun. Or more. Yeah. Yeah. Or more, (laughs) depending on how much your hourly rate is. That's correct. (laughs) Right. And like, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a lot. Like if somebody, for example, like, you know, like, like moments that stand out to me and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty expensive instructor at this point and we'll go out in like some of these serious airplanes that are $350 an hour. Right. And so this person's spending a lot of money, whoever I'm sitting with, and I'm sitting in the right seat and we get out to the run up area and they look at the checklist and it's like the first time they've ever looked at it. So it's like a 30 minute run up, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, the fuel pump, like where, where's the fuel pump? And like, we're doing it all in the airplane with the yeah. engine running $350 an hour. And it's like, it doesn't have to be much. You can take that checklist at home. You can order one product from sporties and they'll send you a nice picture of a cockpit and mm-hmm. you can sit there and just get your checklists down at least so that you're not wasting any time. But the instructor is just sort of like helping point out the finer points, so to speak, like as you're hey, doing hey, the, the finer the points. Lessons, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I see what name. you did there. Yeah. That. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got another question for you. This is coming from another CFI. Um, they are currently having trouble teaching principles of flight. Any tips on how a CFI can kind of a, uh, teach someone the principles of flight to someone that's brand new and get someone to understand it easily rather than kind of fumble over stuff over and over again? Yeah, I, um, that's a tricky question, but I guess like, so where's some of my tools here? Get one of these guys for sure. Like a dry race marker, right? And, you know, you got your little model. So like you can talk through before the flight goes, just flying the wing, like making sure they understand it's a lot about flying the wing. And if you can just get them through the pitch and power um, idea, right. That as you slow Mm -hmm. down, you know, you have to increase your angle of attack as you speed up the the angle of attack can come down and then get them to understand the tail feathers a little bit, like what the rudder is there for and how trim works. And then just go out in the airplane and just try to recapture those ideas, not like maneuver based, maybe like skewer a white piece of paper over the attitude indicator knob. So they have access to the instruments if they want it, but they're not focused there. And then get this little guy and just start drawing on the window. Sometimes I'll make um, a climb line, uh, a level line and a descent line on the window and just get them to sort of fly 
just p- put the pitch on those lines, get their eyes outside, get them tr- kind of feeling the airplane as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I think also be open to the idea that this might not happen in one lesson. And and it's, again, that tacking the sailboat idea. If you take a little bit of time up front, if you have a student that's willing and doesn't think that you're just milking them for money or something, <laughs> you know, but, but really, like, get this stuff ingrained. Then when it comes time to say, okay, here's a maneuver called steep turns, it's like, boom, boom, boom. It just, it happens a lot faster yeah. down the road. Yeah, there's one question that I, I can't find, but you just brought it up. Um, brand new CFI. What's the mentality of going into your first student? How do you kind of make the mentality, make, make the switch of like, you're the CFI, you're the teacher, I'm in charge, I actually know what I'm talking about. And then this new guy or girl comes up to you and they know you're new and they probably have a little bit of hesitations. They really wanted Jason Miller, but they're stuck with Justin, the brand new CFI. How do you go about that kind of situation? Like what, how, like there's a, a huge mental barrier for the CFI. I mean, you were at this point one, one time, not too long ago, right? A couple of years ago, right? Like last year. <laughs> yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember all the way back then. Yeah. Back in my day. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a kind of a constant thing. Like that would be kind of fear is that first one is trying to just have them respect you for knowing what you know, I guess. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I might be an unusual person there, but so the three things are probably just jumping out to me. One is everyone feels the weight of the, uh, the weight of that. Like there's a, mm-hmm. like you, you feel the idea that I'm it. I'm like, like, I'm, Holy cow. There's nobody here other than me. I am the last line of defense, right? Like if something happens today, it's on me, right? And I've got it and I'm responsible for that. That that's a that you feel that. I don't know what there is to say about it other than you feel it. I'd also say be super honest with your students. If they don't know that they're your first student, they should. And and there's no harm in that. I remember being sort of cheeky with my guy, like, wow, you're pretty brave going out. You're my first student. <laughs> you know, like like letting them know that this is what's going on. But on the other hand, I felt supremely confident, and I think that that's due to Richard. I, I really put myself through the ringer. So I, I can't speak to what it might feel like to come out of like an accelerated training program where you think, holy cow, six months ago I was a lawyer, and now look at me. I'm the last line of defense in this airplane. That, that like wasn't me, you know? I was yeah. like... I was like, you know, in the trenches with Richard for a long time. So I was sort of chomping at the bit. I couldn't wait to get out there and show people what I knew. So that might be unusual and maybe the the lesson to take away there is if you do feel well anyway i always think cfi should be investing in themselves right so like mm-hmm. if you can if you have the money and you're in a place where you can go up and get some aerobatic instruction or get your tailwheel endorsement if you don't already have it or invest in yourself i think that's the only thing that'll lead to confidence you can't fake confidence you know Mm-mm. like you either uh-huh. feel it or you don't and you feel it yeah. right you feel it because you know what you're talking about so i always say that aviation it's like one of the th- few things in the world that you can't fake it till you make it like at some point you have to right. teach it at some point you have to do it like there's only so much faking you can do before you expose yourself and you look like a fraud or whatever the best word is to say there so that's just better just to yeah. figure out how to do it right than try to fake it all the time yeah yeah and and yeah and you have to invest in yourself so yeah Here's a good question. Um, as you are a career CFI, uh, this question is, as a fellow CFI myself, what ke- what keeps you motivated to be a CFI, to stay in this career and to, to continue coming in every single day and, and going about being a CFI? 
Well, I mean, first of all, I love flying. Like I can tell you like doing, you know, I've had to do a lot more editing in the last few years with all the YouTube and Instagram and everything else I'm doing. And it's like, gosh, you know, like I just really love <laughs> flying <sucks>. airplanes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, this yeah. is not what I signed up for. But um, yeah, so I love, and I think I love people too. That's the other thing is like, just recently I've got this new student, uh, Jeremy, and I just, I get a kick out of him. I just like love hearing about I often ask people like where they come from. So we have common experiences, you know, like usually I ask like, have you ever ridden a horse? Have you ever shot a gun? Where do you come from? What do you do for a living? How do you learn? Who's your favorite Mm -hmm. teacher? What were your favorite coaches? Like, um, I mean, if we don't like each other, good news is I, I like, I like most people, but, um, if we don't like each other, it's not going to work. So I think part, a huge part of being, why I love being a CFI is I just enjoy being with people and helping them figure things out. I mean, I think mm-hmm. if I didn't like that, I'd be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so how to too, get yeah. motivated? Like, yeah, it's like, um, I think investing in myself. So like recently, you know, we relocated to the foothills and I fly back to, I commute myself back and that's been really uh, reinvigorating. It's nice to, it's nice to get over in the left seat every now and again and remind yourself mm-hmm. how much you do love that first thing I mentioned, which is flying airplanes and then go to the right seat and get into that people game, which is really what being an instructor is. Yeah. And I'd imagine it's the same as being a student, like the burnout's real being an instructor. So it's important to find time to go fly and do something that's fun for you. Maybe it's take a day off. Maybe it's block two days off or take a weekend off, go out, do something fun that's not flying and then come back and you might find yourself more motivated than you were before. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. Here's a good question. It is uh, I actually so I did part of my CFI training before I got the job at Aerial Survey. And when you're in the process of making your lesson plans, what's kind of the best way for a brand new CFI to create lesson plans? I remember when I was going through it, um, I kind of tailored what my instructors did. And I, it's kind of like, if it works, don't, if it's not broken, don't fix it type thing, but don't copy it per se, like take it to your strengths, but see what they've done. You know, don't reinvent the wheel, kind of get an idea of what you like and then go after it. But what would you recommend? <clears throat> Yeah, I think um, I was really inspired by like, there's there's a couple books, one, you know, Stick and Rudder, if you've never read that, or there's another old book from that era called How to Fly an Airplane. Um, you know, so th- those books are interesting because they have this nice way of talking about flying in sort of a, like, just long form way. It's not just textbooky. Um, and I think completion standards are huge. So just thinking through, like, what is the end game here? What is the, the result I'm trying to create? Um, here's another shameless plug for ground school, but I think that that's been really fun in the ground school app. Is yeah. I set up those lessons, like there's an objective, there's a briefing, there's a flight, there's a debriefing, there's common errors. So each lesson set up like a lesson plan. Um, if, if you're a CFI and you haven't seen that, you should check it out. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I don't know exactly. I think it's, it's a fun creative exercise, like just try yeah. to sort of synthesize everything, you know, all the instructors that have, taught you and try to come up with these completion standards. Like what are the goals I want for my student at the end of each, each one of these lesson modules? Yeah. Last question for you, since we've been going on about almost 50 minutes now, this is a good one to end on. It might be a long one. So sorry, but what are good tips? (laughs) (laughs) What are some good tips for cockpit management for a brand new instrument rating student or someone that is going after the instrument rating? So I guess essentially, how do you like teach a scan? How do you make sure they understand a scan? Uh, what do you recommend for a new or a CFI to kind of teach that new IFR student to understand kind of what's going on IFR? 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think gets overlooked a lot, I'm looking around for props, but, you know, one thing that gets overlooked a lot, I think, is, um, you know, holding stuff up. I don't know if I can see this, but, like, you know, hold the things that you need to see, like checklists and approach plates. Mm. That's why I have an iPad mini. I have an iPad mini for my uh, charting. There it is. Um, because I can hold it up still. And even though I'm using an iPad, I can hold these plates up. Yeah. Back in the day, it was paper. But if I need to see the attitude indicator, which is like my, sort of lifeline to the horizon and my altitude and my airspeed and all that. And I need to also look at an approach plate, pick that approach plate up and put it right next to the attitude indicator so that your eyes are just like able to just dart around like that. Um, so that, that's a huge thing that I think is often overlooked. I see too many people down with their head in their lap. That's like a guaranteed left turn right there. Oh my gosh. Right I struggle with that so much. <laughs> I would look down and I, this is the slightest left turn for me. I just pulled down. I'd be like, all right, so if the final approach fix is here, I need to be at this altitude. And the instructor's like, what are you doing? I look up like, holy crap. <laughs> oh, I know. Right. I know. Yeah. But you'll find that if you pick it up and you just like, and, and you realize that you have to hold on to that data, like, um, with the ATP, what do we get? Plus or minus 50 feet, you know? So it's like, if you don't have that approach plate right next to the altimeter, making constant tiny corrections, like it's over. Uh, yeah. That's a big one. And um, so yeah, just make sure you're not glued down in your iPad. And even some of these iPad mounts or whatever, I don't know. I'm not really sold on any of them yet. Don't tell Pivot Case that. But <laughs> won't say a word. I, just, I, I don't, don't know. I'm not sold. You know, it's like yeah. it's like fixed in space somewhere else. So still, right now, the best thing I can come up with is I've got my iPad Mini and I hold the chart, the, the plates up right next to where yeah. I need to look. Basically, so. I Cockpit would agree with you. Yeah. You know, I was just keep going. I was just yeah, say I agree yeah. with you on the pivot case. It's like I'm not 100 percent sold on it. I don't like it being fixed in one spot. Um, so yeah. Right a tough one and even like I, I was looking around for my little lap boards but like i'll tend to take just a basic clipboard like this and put a rubber band around the end and just use that to like sort of stick pens and stuff under and mm -hmm. put plates on this and you can pick it up i mean you know in gosh you know in 20 plus years of flying i think i've hit turbulence so bad that things fly toward the ceiling maybe three or four times you know it's like yeah I think the kneeboard is overrated. I don't, I think it's great for fighter pilots, but I don't think you need to strap everything to your body in an airplane. Necessarily. <laughs> um, what would you do if your student showed up in a flight suit with uh, all the pockets on his knees and everything? Like, all right, I'm ready to go. It's like, what are we doing today? Uh, uh, yeah, what are we doing? Uh, you got a T-38 somewhere? That I don't know awesome. about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's funny. Funny. I agree. When I worked line service, uh, I was saying when I worked line service in Chicago, there was this guy that came up in the wintertime, like every couple of weeks or whatever, and he would jump out of the airplane in riding pants, leather boots up to his knee, a silk scarf, and a leather coat, <laughs> like the Red Baron. In a banana. That's awesome. Like, in a banana. Right, yeah. <laughs> what a trip. Yeah. Dang. You can't make that stuff up, man. If only you had Instagram, you could be Instagram famous from just being like, yo, look at this dude. What's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, that's funny. But scanning, I was going to say there's two things. And I think I, I teach two very specific scans. And then I, after that, I basically tell people you're, you're going to sort of figure this out on your own. Yeah. Um, so the, the radial scan, just using the horizon. So let's talk six pack, but the, the radial scan using the horizon in the middle and then I sort of bring up the tunes, the old 70s tunes, Staying Alive, the one that's like, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> that's, about how, that's like about how fast people's eyes should be moving around the room. Um, and that's just for everyday flying around. 
And then when you roll into a turn, the inverted V from the turn coordinator to the attitude to the static instruments and back, every time you roll in and out of a turn, that upside down V shape is helpful. And then we work on that a little bit. And then after that, people tend to just figure that part out. Um, I think you lost half the millennials and Gen Z with the song choice. So you might need to update that. Oh man. You need to get on on TikTok (laughs) and find out what song is trending these days and come up with that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I think you can probably use like levitating by Dua Lipa if that's more. There you go. Yeah. All right. There we go. Now everyone's back in it. You brought it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Oh man. All our references. I'm just getting old. No, we all are sad, man. Yeah. Not the young, young Some buck I used to be. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Not naming names. No, I'm just kidding. Well, right. Jason, I appreciate you coming on, man. I always have fun talking to you. I always have fun uh, just getting some experience from you. I think it's awesome. Uh, I, one thing I love about the internet, Instagram, YouTube, is being able to give people access to what everyone is doing. It's like someone in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up that might have 10 years ago or 20 years ago, had no idea how you and Richard and everyone in California was doing it. It's like, now I have access to this. I have access right. to ground school. I have access to YouTube. I'm not just stuck with one tr- yeah. one train of thought, which is always good. And I always say that it's it's always good to get outside sources to understand, uh, have multiple points of views and figure out what works best for you and bring it all in together and kind of take what you like best from every way and apply it to your own flying. So it's awesome hearing what you have to say. Yeah. I do respect you. Like I said earlier, you are one of the best CFIs I know. So you being able to spend this time is great. And um, don't bill me for your hourly rate because I don't know if I can afford it, but <laughs> it's great having you on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I always I always enjoy it. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're doing an awesome job and it's always fun to talk. So I'll come on anytime. Oh, man. Perfect. I love it. I'm going to keep you coming on. So I'm going to hold you to that. That's for sure. All right, <laughs> yeah, all right man. Yeah, that's good. Well, I know we say this all the time, but right, come back to easy. Chicago so we can fly or I'll have to come out to you. So we'll have to do that sometime soon. Yeah. Well, there's no way I'm missing Osh 21. So if that thing is right? going down, I will be I will be in All Chicago right. this July. So. Sounds good. Let's make it happen, man. Well, we'll see you. Have a good All one. Right, and if you don't follow good. Jason, go follow him now. All his links will be below, especially for the Ground School app. So Jason, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Aviation, that is a wrap of episode 160 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I want to give a quick blurb. There is a new product coming soon. I am so excited for it. It's in my hand right now. I'm looking at it. I don't know when it's going to be launched, but stay tuned. Spread the hype. It's going to be freaking awesome. And yes, I know I sound weird saying freaking, but it's going to be so dope and I'm so excited. I don't know when it's coming out, but you got to stay tuned. It's going to be sweet. For those of you that do know, there are some of those be quiet. Don't tell anyone. Don't ruin the surprise. But Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.